On this episode of NC Raw, we welcome Courtney Kimmel back to the show. She brings your mom with her today, Miss Tammy Kimmel. Um, it's a pretty emotional conversation. Got to talk to both of them about Courtney's process of recovery and what that change was like. But then also we got into the loss of her daughter, Lindsay, her, to an overdose death earlier this year and kind of like the comparison between the two stories and what Lindsay went through, um, the kind of health struggles that she dealt with and ultimately what led up to her death and how they each have kind of coped with this loss in their unique and individual way. So it was a fabulous conversation. I love both of these guys. Hope you guys enjoy it as well. Give it up for Miss Tammy and Courtney Kimmel. Living a miracle, standing divisible, connected to God in my physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible. Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal. Used to be a criminal, living so minimal. But things have changed in my life is going through different intervals. Finding that balance is significantly difficult. Timing is everything, so my timing is critical. Rhyming is literal, the unforgettable. It's why I stand before you impeccably so presentable. I give respect to you, know that I am respectable. I've always wanted acceptance, is that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional And I'm a grown man, handle business like a professional I am incredible, Leo conventional And you stopping me from chasing my dreams is unprofessional The opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed We do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Let's go. Hello, Courtney Kimmel. Hello, Steve Steam. You're back. I am back. You brought somebody with you. My mama, Tammy. Uh, Tammy. Hello. I appreciate you guys joining me this evening. Absolutely. Glad Thanks to be for here. having us. Yeah. Um, you know, when we first started this podcast, we were like very thoughtful and like planning and laying things out. We yeah. had, I mean, it went like it was months went by before we actually like recorded a show and in conversations, mostly with Courtney, but in conversations with Courtney, um, you know, a lot of what we talked about were like, are we going to be able to sustain regular guests once a week who will want to come on and share some of their most intimate details of their, of their life and talk about um, what they've been through and experienced. And it's been pretty phenomenal to have people like you guys um, just reach out every week and offer that that part of your life you know with not just myself but with our audience um you know i commend you guys for 
the courage to come forward and talk about these things because my experience tells me that, um, you know, a large part of my personal growth, my development is by challenging myself and being open um, with everybody I meet about my experience and where I come from and what I've been through. And so I just commend you guys for for kind of joining us this evening and kind of talking about, um, you know, the two extremes of addiction and recovery. Right. The last time you were here, Courtney. Yes. Um, you were, your life was changing and you were getting ready to start your first semester. Yes. Back in college. Ooh, back in college. As a person in long-term recovery. Yes. How's that been going? Um, surprisingly well, but it wasn't like that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember um, like the first probably three weeks in class, I just felt lost and totally out of my element. And I kept coming home and I was like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know if I have what it takes. Um, You know, you were like one of the only familiar faces on campus and I didn't get to see you that much. So I was like walking to and from class by myself. Everyone's got, you know, friends. And um, but I figured out a system that worked for me. Um, And here I am, a straight A student, proud, very proud. Surprise, surprise. I know. I've never, ever, ever. Ben. Not a person in this room, not a person tuning into this live video is surprised by yourself. Yeah, huh? exactly. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but the transition itself, like you really like you talked, I kind of opened the show talking about like that vulner- vulnerability piece, right? You did that. I was so vulnerable. Yeah. You did. Like for many, like for more than one reason, but just putting myself in a different atmosphere and like testing myself to the fullest. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a challenge. Yeah. I mean, besides I, the fact that maybe what, five weeks prior to that, like, you lost yeah. your sister. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I lost my sister and then school was starting and I, oh man. Life really came at you from all directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not, not including that, but also my injury with my hip. I mean, it was like hip, sister, school in a matter of like two months. Mm -hmm. So everything, you know, my biggest recovery path was working out. That's like what I knew. Um, I'd been on a fitness journey for a year now. And when I hurt myself and it's, it was like late May, early June that I I had hurt my hip. Um, and I couldn't work out for 30 days straight. And like, that was, I was already getting kind of down and out, depressed, hard on myself. And then I lost my sister. And so I couldn't go to the gym and do like the one thing that I knew I was great at. The one kind of strong coping skill that you had developed. Exactly. In your process of recovery was kind of taken from you. Mm -hmm. And then you experienced something that was challenging. Yeah. Traumatic. Very traumatic. Yeah. So. um, What did you do? Oh, man. Um, I struggled. I struggled a lot. Um, the first thing I did was get back into physical therapy. I had taken a break from that for a little while thinking that maybe, uh, that would, if I took a rest, maybe if I came back, I'd make some more progress. Um, 
But after Lindsay passed away, I almost lost myself. I started to question my Christianity. Um, I have a great church and a great pastor. Um, and they love me and they were there, but like they backed off. And I knew that they were backing off because they couldn't force me to come. And um, so I questioned my faith in God. I questioned my own sobriety. Um, there for a while, I questioned like the whole relationship with my sister. Um, had I done something wrong? Could I have done more? Um, and it didn't take me long to realize that I had to get into some sort of counseling. Um, I wasn't sleeping. School was starting. I mean, I think at one point I messaged you and said, I think I want to pull the plug on this. Mm -hmm. I don't think I can do it. And that's like two weeks before school started, mm -hmm. literally. <laughs> and I'm like, what am I doing with myself? Um, but I don't know. I had to do a lot of soul searching. And a lot of that was outside, like nature, because I couldn't work out. It was in the kind of middle peak of the summer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of trips to the river. A lot of trips to the river, yeah. And um, went, and then even so, when it was cooling off, a lot of trips up to Water Rock Knob and the Parkway. I don't know. There's just something about being outside by yourself. So um, even though my world had been flipped upside down, um, I had to find new ways to cope. Um, and in that process, I mean, it was, it was rough. Um, and I had to go back on, you know, mental health medication. And that was something that I was so proud of for getting off in the, and you know, to begin with, um, I've been on some sort of antidepressant since I was probably like 16. And last year I was, I've been off of everything for a, a little over a year yeah. now. And I went back to some counseling and they're like, we think that, you know, you could use some medication. And I was so against it for like a month. And I realized I was starting to look bad. I wasn't sleeping. And so I got put on another antidepressant and it just like, it changed me within mm -hmm. just like a couple night and day. Yeah. Just a couple of days. Every, my dad and my mom, they're like, Oh my gosh, you look like you look like you. Um, so it's been a challenge, but we're making it. Yep. I'm One sorry. day at a time. I'm sorry. I might've misheard you. Did, what did you say your, um, your grades were looking like? <laughs> straight A student. Straight, straight A student. Straight A student. First yep. semester back. First semester. Congratulations. I am very proud of you. Thank like you. Like you have, um, you've been a, a big part of, um, well, just my life and my recovery process. We've been close friends and um, it's been, you've helped me in times of need and listened to my bullshit sometimes <laughs> and um, vice versa. Yeah. So like. <laughs> I value that in you as a friend and as a classmate and um, definitely look forward to like seeing you grow on campus in the collegiate recovery program. I'm already like putting your name. I know you here. are. <laughs> I know you are. I'm like, uh, when I'm not even there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm like such a forward thinker that I'm like, okay, well when I graduate in May, like who's going to take over, who's going to be the leaders of the program near top of that list. So of course, um, She's going to do know. big things. She's going to do big things. So, Tammy, I, th I think that a large part of what we talk about tonight, what interests me about tonight's conversation is kind of what I alluded to at the beginning of the show is kind of like the both sides of this process. 
um, having experienced both um, being a part of your daughter Courtney's long-term recovery process and the change that she's made in her life and then also the loss of Lindsay right absolutely and kind of like what that what that has um, been like for both of you guys and so I think that a good place to start this conversation would be kind of getting into what it was like for you with Courtney in her kind of like process of change because she shared a lot the last time she was Mm -hmm. here um, three or four months ago and it would be interesting to hear kind of what that looked like from your point of view and what even more so like what um, what that felt like right and like what it what it's like to um, really be there for your daughter and really support her through that change um so i guess like because she talked about like going down to florida a few times making a few trips oh yeah um the airport moments yeah you know every time um and i don't necessarily know where to start but i think that like just kind of like getting into getting into what what that was like and what from your point of view and you know, the family's point of view, like what? Well, for really, it was almost like um, starting out from being hopeless to hopeful. Um, each time that uh, I saw her get on that plane and head off to Florida, I was like, this is going to be the time. This is going to be the time. <laughs> um, only to get uh, another, uh, another, uh, comment from her stating um guess what mom i've i've relapsed and i think i need to go back to florida again um she hit she hid her active addiction very well very well um i I, i'm guessing she hid it very well or maybe i was just very um turning a blind eye to it maybe i'm sure there was many times that i felt that um she was probably doing things that um i didn't know about but felt in my gut that she was. So that um, that third trip to Florida, I looked at her as she got on the airplane and she turned around and she looked at me and the tears were streaming down her eyes and they were streaming down my face. And all I did was I just said, God, please, please, whatever it takes this time for this kid to finally get there, it's that's it. I mean, I had, um, <laughs> my knees were sore from getting down on the ground and praying. Mm-hmm. God, please just help this kid get through this. Leading up to that point, was there anything different that you noticed this time around? In, the, in, as far as this last um, trip to Florida? Mm-hmm. Um, in comparison to the prior attempts? No, not really. Okay. Um, she, but, was, she was able to maintain sobriety. Um, I was still definitely seeing that there was a whole lot of change in behavior that needed to happen. Mm -hmm. So that's um, definitely, (laughs) definitely needed some changing. She talked about when the last time she was here, kind of still abstaining from the drugs, but still clinging to that tough guy mentality Mm -hmm. behavior oh yeah and it was a process to kind of let go of that Mm -hmm. it was a process to rediscover yourself 
and to like yeah. put that persona to the side. Oh man, yeah. Right? Yeah. And like I guess what at what point in that process did you kind of like begin to see changes? Um well, because she was, you know, numerous states away from me, I could only pick up through phone conversations, text and messages, writing. You, and of course, you know, yeah. they, they're telling you what exactly yeah. it is that they think you want to hear. Um, but I have to say, probably the letters that started coming in um, were really heartfelt. That's when I started, because I was hard on her. I said, I'm not, I'm not going down this road again. The, the last time or all? This last time. Okay. Yeah. I said that every time, but the last time I think I really meant it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the letters from prison. Yes, you mean. the letters. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm like yes, cause... the letters from prison. Because mm -hmm. um, I said I, don't, I, I honestly told her I do not believe I can continue to have a relationship with you if you're going to continue to go back out on the street and do the things that you do and get back into active addiction. And she wouldn't even I mean, answer my phone calls when I was first arrested. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like my dad. And like for my dad to answer and my mother, to, I could hear her in the background saying, I don't want to talk to her. And for me to have to dial my dad's number. Shout out Jack Kimmel watching <laughs> yeah, my hair, yeah. my band. Um, yeah, I was like, wow, like my dad's answering and my mom doesn't want to talk to me. This is this is real. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like every time that that your child comes to you and tells you I've relapsed and I need to go back to rehab. There's a part of you that's like, okay, I'm really glad you're going back to rehab, but then again, it's your heart's shattered mm -hmm. that you went back to the lifestyle of using drugs. Yeah. It's and devastating as a parent, it really is. And she was doing well mm -hmm. that last time, mm -hmm. right? Was able to get your car taken down there mm -hmm. and kind of beginning to slowly kind of buy into the program yeah. and change your life. And then something happened. Yeah. Do you want me to elaborate? Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I've been kicked out of a really good halfway house um, for behavior. After you completed your... Uh, yeah. I, mm -hmm. So I completed, I successfully completed an inpatient program. Um, and down there I had to bounce around from a couple of halfway houses because of the environment. Um, they're not all there for you. Um, a lot of it is after your insurance and things. So the first place I ended up at, I realized was not a healthy environment. So I made it to a good halfway house um, where I stayed for a short amount of time. Um, I was being a bully, picking on the girls. You were being a bully. <laughs> I, yes. I know okay. that's so hard to believe. Mm -hmm. Um I didn't say that. That was an honest question. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I found myself homeless in South Florida. And my dad came to the rescue. Um, and I ended up in a very bad halfway house um, because I had so much clean time. Down there, they typically don't want someone that has six months plus coming into a halfway. Like, you should really be at about a three-quarters house now. Um, so I found myself at a flop. And I woke up one evening right before Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. right before Thanksgiving, and um, she was overdosing. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to call 911 in time. And so anyways, I was on my way to the ER to take her um, clothes and everything and pick her up when I got arrested. Uh, they ran my name and they were like, you're, you're 
a fugitive. You had warrants here in yeah, Jackson County. Yeah, I had active warrants. And we knew that. Um, but we had, as a family, we decided that one year would be enough for me to be able to come back and face my reality. Get some clean time under your belt. Exactly. Begin the process and mm -hmm. then come back and take some responsibility for right. what had happened. Um, but instead, God had a different plan. Mm -hmm. And um, I was sitting in a South, South Florida County Jail at seven months sober. Uh, and that was the phone call I made home when mm -hmm. I realized my mother wasn't answering. I panicked and called my dad. That's a make or break point, right? Like, oh, man. Kind of how we talked about a few minutes ago, how like life throws you these challenges going back to school, losing your sister, your health, mm -hmm. right? At two years or whatever in, in recovery, it came at you right out, right out the gate. Yeah. Right? Like I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to change my life. Yeah. And here I am in county jail in South Florida. Right. And you weren't necessarily expecting the consequences that you were dealt. Right. Right. I thought I was going to get out and like go to my alumni, like my rehab alumni Thanksgiving dinner. Get and bonded out. Yeah. And like, Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh -huh. It was all going to be just fine. Mm -hmm. huh. Jackson County doesn't take well to absconders from justice. Uh, it doesn't sound like it. <laughs> no. Probation violation is what it was. Yeah. Uh huh. So, um, yeah, when I finally was like shipped back up here, um, that was kind of like the pitch I gave to the judge. Like, I'm a I'm a law abiding citizen now. Like, I have paid stubs and like I was working a program. And and they're like, Miss Kimmel, like three strikes and you're out. Like, we're great. We're so glad to hear that you're sober, but you had your chances, you know. Um, so yeah. And there's definitely a fine line, like. Obviously, being a person who's been in trouble with the law, being a person person who's experienced the extreme pain and suffering that addiction causes in in our lives, um, obviously, like I'm a firm believer in second chances. But I'm also I'm also a, a believer in like taking responsibility for our actions. And so, like the question is, is like where is the where is the middle? Where do right. we, where do we meet in the middle? Like we have these. Um, diversion programs mm -hmm. over in Waynesville and other counties that have, you know, shown to be pretty successful. Right. Uh, cheap plug. We're going to have Gary and Yoakum, the case manager for the lead program will be on next Monday night. Wow. So we're going to be getting into that. But like, nice. where is the, where is the middle path in a county that doesn't have a program like mm -hmm. that? You know, what is the most appropriate way to approach a situation like that? And we'll get into a little bit of that, like with like, education and stigma and things right. like that but like you know they've heard it a hundred times exactly you know like so i can i can see both sides of the argument mm -hmm. right for every courtney kimmel who thrives in recovery there's five other you know jennifer blank that's gone right you know mm -hmm. right back out there and so how you know what how many chances does somebody get before they yeah. are faced with consequences how many people come through that courtroom and say I got seven months in recovery. I'm trying to do the right thing. Right. But also how many people um, can go through something like that, like you did, experience the consequences mm -hmm. by going to prison yeah. and doing what you did, 
right? With right. very little resources yeah. available uh-huh. to you at that time. Right. So what was the outcome of this situation? Um, of me like being incarcerated? Yeah. Mean? Um, I feel like that was the bigger part of my equation that I was able to figure out. So I was seven months sober, but again, just two or three weeks prior to being arrested, I was kicked out of a halfway house for bad behavior. Um, So my first couple hours in Raleigh, I realized I am not a tough cookie. (laughs) I am not going to give any attitude. I'm going to do as I am told and not question it. Um, And it was hard. I've I've seen some things that I wouldn't want anyone to see. But in that time, I was able to do, again, some, some soul searching. Um, and I carried a Bible around with me. It went everywhere on the compound with me. Um, and I don't know. I was I had a really great um, bunkmate, and she was able to teach me a lot, and I still have contact with her. And um, we'd study the Bible together. And um, just seeing, like, how people who are doing, like, hard time, how they live and, like, how that affects them I wanted to make sure that I wouldn't become that but that I would become something so much more because I was already like kind of being that person um, with the bad behavior and like just out to get everybody and I didn't need prison to make me any worse than that like I Mm -hmm. had that down pat but you made the decision not to go down that road right Um, because I knew when I got out there was no going back to Florida Um, there was nine months post yeah. and I was going to have to do that at my parents' house because mm-hmm. I didn't have any income, you know, I mean, so I had to, um, it was like a do or die moment. I can either keep sobriety and, um, grow in faith or I can just screw around in here. And when I get home, it'll be the same old, same old. And I didn't want that. So why do you think you made the decision that you made? Um, I think part of it was cause I really wanted it. And the other part was I saw how they were living in there. Um, addiction still affects inmates. Yeah. It's a thing. It's 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 a thing on the inside. So now, while all this is going on, right? However many few years this was kind of leading up to the point that it was at. Mm-hmm. What was going on in Lindsay's life at that time? Was that something you guys were kind of dealing with oh, yeah. simultaneously? Yeah. But um, at from a a long distance because Lindsay was in Ohio. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, once again, goes back to the, we're going to tell mom exactly what it is that we think she wants to hear. Um, I know that um, the first time I found out that Lindsay had been using uh, street drugs was in June of 2010. That was by accident. She had to have an emergency surgery, and the anesthesiologist said, I need to know what you've been doing, and I need you to be honest because all it takes is a blood test. Well, when she said the heroin word, I about fell out of the chair. I was not expecting that at all. Um, I did not know at that point that she was, I knew she was dabbling in some marijuana at that point, but nothing to the extent of heroin. So needless to say, that was um, that was pretty shocking. Um and she told me it was just a kind of a one-time thing she had been experimenting. And I said, I don't know how much experimentation you do with heroin, but, um, you know, <laughs> that, that's a demon that'll take your life. So I hope that this is the, the last time I hear that, that you do that. So 
And it was a, a back and forth thing. Um, I know that uh, Lindsay had tried numerous attempts at sobriety. Um, and upon her passing, I was fortunate enough to actually gain possession of her journals while she was going through IOP. Um, she was uh, in, in a Suboxone clinic. Um, she knew, she said in her journal, um, I have two choices. I continue to use drugs and I die, or I get sober and I can be the, the sister, the daughter, the aunt, the granddaughter that um, I know that I can be. And it wasn't until I read those journals, which has just been in the last couple months, that I understood really how hard her battle really was. Yeah. How it's really difficult. 2010, I mean, that's kind of like pre-mainstream um, mm -hmm. opioid epidemic, like front pages of, mm -hmm. you know, everywhere. So, I mean, like getting that news is had to be like an eye-opening experience. Oh, yeah, because that was nothing. I mean, like I said, I never really even heard of heroin. It was at that point it was was meth, you know. Meth was the, the drug on the street at that yeah. point around here mm -hmm. even like back home in florida i remember um my cousin overdosed in 2010 and passed in charlotte and i was in active addiction at the time and i remember getting the call and i was just like i, I didn't understand because i live in the lifestyle that i lived i'd never seen heroin it just wasn't around. Mm -hmm. You find cocaine and meth and any of that stuff all you want all day long. But I just didn't see it. Mm -hmm. So to get the news that she had overdosed from heroin before like it was even a thing. Before, before it was, it was a thing. thing. Before yeah. it was it was it was very shocking and like hard to hard to deal with. What um so what did her did like her cause you mentioned she was like went through like an IOP program. Yes. Like was what led up to that kind of attempts at recovery was that like was there any like legal things or was it strictly like okay i need to like get there wasn't any legal problems involved with that as far I guess as her so, deciding like, was it to voluntary? go it was voluntary uh -huh. mm -hmm. i think she wanted to i think there was a part of her that really really wanted to find and maintain sobriety mm -hmm. um but i to go back a little bit in her history, she was diagnosed um, several years ago with uh, bipolar disorder, um, severe depression, PTSD, a whole lot of those co-occurring disorders that a lot of times accompany addiction issues. Um, and I think she, she got on some um, medications that were supposed to try to help her with all of that. And I think, unfortunately, she started abusing those, those drugs. Um, and then once she couldn't get out of those, what she needed anymore, then she turned back. But I know it was the on, it was an ongoing battle for eight years, you know, maintain sobriety for six months, eight months, relapse and relapse for a good year. Um, she only did go for professional treatment in regards to her addiction one time. The rest of it, it was, I'm going to detox on my own and I got this, I can do it. Every time. Every time. Mm -hmm. And what was your relationship with, like, her, with, like, because uh, I remember you, when we talked last podcast, you mentioned kind of getting up to Ohio at some point. I used to go before. up there quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my sister and I, we got high together. Um, it wasn't always a thing. 
That was in, I think, 2015 around Christmas time or even 2014. Um, That was like our first kind of thing together. Um, And even after that, I mean, she always went back home to Ohio. We always kept contact. And then this last time I went to rehab, I remember cutting her off. Um, I just remember like... I'd say to protect yourself out right. of, for like your own exactly. recovery, setting some boundaries. Mm-hmm. And even though we were a world apart, I was in South Florida and she was in Ohio. Um, I love my sister very much, but she, her negativity would just take you down um, another path. And I was already struggling in Florida as it was. I woke up every day. Is today the day that I'm going to go get high? Is today the day like I'm going to go run out on my halfway house? Um, and so the few times Lindsay and I did talk, it was really negative. And I just always remember hanging up the phone feeling like, God, I love her so much, but you know, like, man, I need to go see a meeting after that. Um, and I remember she came and saw me while I was in Jackson County. Um, the last time I saw her was through a TV screen before you went to prison, Mm -hmm, before I went to prison. So that's the last time I saw her. Um, and I wrote to her and I talked to her on the phone while I was in Raleigh and actually, um, we were able to get some of her very few belongings that she had and she still had the card that I sent her, um, while I was in there. And so it was just kind of like, you know, um, I beat myself up, not as much as I used to. I mean, the first probably like four months, I mean, up until, here recently, I, I blame a lot of that, um, of not talking to her. There's like this guilt. Um, and I almost let it get to me to a point of no return. But, um, I can just tell by going through her belongings and stuff and what she had, like she loves me and she knows that I loved her, uh, very much, even though we didn't talk. And, um, I still have text messages from her and we talked last Thanksgiving And I told her that even though there was some distance between us, there was a reason why. And I explained that reason and that I loved her. And she wrote me back and said that she understood completely um, that nothing was worth risking my sobriety. And she knows that there was history between us. But, you know, that she understood that there was still sisterly love. She knew that she wasn't living a lifestyle that would that you could welcome kind of back into your life so you kind of maintain contact but at a healthy distance yeah through letters and occasional phone calls occasional yeah what do you think tammy prevented her from kind of getting to a point where like courtney where she could sustain some long-term recovery like was there what were the barriers Um, I think a lot of it had to do with just her circumstances in general. She, um, she had a lot of health issues, some, some drug related, some not drug related. Um, she'd been trying to get social security disability. She lived with her dad. Um, she had some younger siblings in the house with her. I think she just was kind of the kind of person that felt defeated Mm -hmm. all the time she fought for four years to try to get this social security disability. I mean, it was um, appeal after appeal after court hearing and go get some more medical documentation and do this. And it was just, um, I just feel like she just um, felt like no matter how hard she tried 
to obtain something, whether it was sobriety or anything else, that um, sometimes that she wasn't worthy of it. And I think the, the stigma associated with her addiction had a lot to do with that. Um, and when I say that, here's a perfect example of um, getting a certified letter in the mail from her primary care physician stating that she would no longer be able to be seen in the practice because they did not have an ability to have a therapeutic relationship any longer due to her inability to pass a drug test. So if that's not stigma, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So she was pretty disappointed in all of that. Um, so it was just like a always feeling like she was trying to fight an uphill battle, and for every couple little steps that she'd take forward, she'd take double that amount back. Mm -hmm. And I think um, a part, a big part of Lindsay's problem, um, you know, mine was behavior. Hers was the lifestyle. Um, every time she come down to visit us, if it was for two weeks or six months, she was like craving to get back to Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, because that's where I think she was drawn. Yeah, she was yeah. just drawn to the the big city lifestyle. The and city lifestyle. She knew a bunch of people. She could hustle up there, and that means like anything, you know. Um, here, she didn't know a lot. Of, she did. She only knew like my friends. Um, and all my friends loved her growing up, but she was like addicted to the lifestyle. Just the chaotic, like just, I don't know. It was just chaotic and crazy and fast paced. And that was my sister for the longest time. So you're saying it's more, maybe not even the drugs, but the kind of behaviors associated with the drugs. Yeah. Absolutely. Lindsay was actually a trained phlebotomist. Not that she ever worked in the field, mm -hmm. but she was, um, had obtained her certification and yeah. never used it, never used it. Very, very smart person, but uh, could never figure out quite where to take the initiative and then work her way into the, the place that she really needed to be. And if she did get there, she didn't, she, she struggled staying there. Yeah. Hmm. It's just like in hearing both the stories, right? It's like Courtney um, was met with difficult circumstances. And for some reason, she like, found the resiliency somewhere and that's like the miracle question right yeah it's like why 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 this individual regardless of sisters and mm -hmm. whoever just why one individual when faced with being kicked out of a halfway house at seven months sober arrested extradited like a wild <laughs> Like a wild animal. <laughs> Caged. <laughs> Man. Sent to the state capitol. Oh, right? Yeah. And why that one person can um, overcome those things. And like what that mind, like the, the mindset when you're faced with those challenges, when you're faced with those difficulties, because that's what like, that's what creates those like patterns of behavior by mm -hmm. overcoming those obstacles you're creating like strength like they talk about like neuroplasticity in your brain but just oh, yeah. the strength to overcome right right and then you're ready for the next challenge you're ready for um the by experiencing that by overcoming those obstacles by doing your however many months in um in prison by getting out maintaining your sobriety that when 
you're faced with a severe health health issue that's preventing you from getting back into the gym, which mm-hmm. is your number one pathway. And you're faced with the fear of walking into the classroom as a 24-year-old. 27. I was trying to give you some love, <laughs> man. Okay. Yeah. As a 27-year-old young lady. Yeah. Um, by when faced with the loss of not only a loved one, but a sister from the disease that you personally experienced, you're able to overcome those, right? Yeah. Think about it. I know. But it's like by, by facing these challenges, leaning into them, relying on your faith, trusting yourself, building up the confidence. Yeah. Right. It's like those, those things. So like when, Tomorrow, when you walk into the classroom and your teacher's like, guess what? We got a pop quiz today. How are you going to handle that? I'm going to probably freak out for 2.5 and then I'm going to... Yeah, you're going to close your eyes, yeah. take some breath, say a prayer, whatever you got to do, right. and you're going you're gonna to muscle through it. The yeah. answer is you're going to muscle through it. For sure. Right? And you're going to get a kick-ass grade, right? Because you're confident in yourself. Yeah. And like, for me, like, that's, that's where it's at. That's the, that's the magic. That's the money right there. Putting yourself in situations... Where, whether it's like just little small things, like mm-hmm. we we're talking about goals last night at dinner with some friends, like little small things, like putting yourself in a place in your life where you're faced with challenges. Yeah. Like this stupid little podcast that we do t- t- every week, right? It started off as an idea, right? Why? Because it was something that I thought would bring me joy and kind of like, ease some of the difficulties that I was going through because Mm -hmm. it's something that I enjoy because it's something that I'm passionate about. Right. Right. So what did we do? We like took the idea and we ran with it. Right. And I put all of my effort into making this thing as best as it can be to overcome the challenges. Right. We've been faced with challenges. We lost our access to the studio. So we raised money to buy our own equipment. Courtney walked, you know, moved away to pursue a career in her field. We made adjustments to continue the program and do more. What do you think by overcoming these little obstacles that come to us? Just like, there ain't nothing that can stop me. And all we're doing is hanging out for a couple hours, you know? So like, and I think that's what people are afraid of. They're the, the fear of, facing the challenges and the lack of confidence, mm-hmm. right? I had zero confidence when I was actively using. Yeah, me too. Besides like, you know, socially with yeah. people and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, man. <laughs> Z- okay. Z- Come on, girl. <laughs> um, z- I had zero confidence in my abilities, right? And like, how can we teach people that kind of like self-confidence. How can we teach them to overcome these little challenges and grow from them and gain the confidence to do it again, set the bar a little bit higher? Mm -hmm. Like you hear like, I'm involved in the 12-step fellowship, we talk about like a day at a time, right? Mm -hmm. Set the bar a little bit higher, set the bar a little bit higher. And like your mind will want you to set the bar down here, like you going back to school. Yeah. Right. You try to come at me talking about, yeah, I'll just take like a couple classes, one or two. 
Six later. You're six later in what? Straight A student. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, so what's going to happen next semester? Six classes. Yeah. And, 17 credits. And, and thrive and be successful yeah. and grow into that leadership position and then take on the next Courtney Kimmel that walks into the classroom as a mentor. Be like, hey, girl, I got you. Come on. Let's yeah. go. Let's do this collegiate recovery thing. Right. That's what's going to happen. You got the confidence. So, um, That's interesting that you say that because that kind of reminds me about Lindsay a little bit. She... Um, some of the happiest that she sounded was the times that she was going to IOP and that she was actually sober and would call me up and, uh, oh my gosh, mom, I just got out of an NA meeting and it was amazing. And, you know, and she'd do that for months on end and then just all of a sudden quit going. And I, I never could quite figure out why. I think it's, it's really hard work. Mm -hmm. It's really hard work and you have to put forth a lot of effort and, Sometimes I think um, people just get tired or they get, um, discouraged. They get, kind of, they get discouraged. Um, that stigma is attached. Even if you're in recovery, you still have that, that stigma that's attached to you. And um, unfortunately, that, that stigma, I think that's one of the um, probably the most cruel and difficult parts of addiction that um, people have to overcome. Let's talk about that. Let's go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> you want to? Sure. Let's do it. Um, it's a, it's a subject that gets brought up every single week yep. on this show. And I've been pretty open um, on talking about like the lack of me personally experiencing that. And I last Friday, we did that extra show with Jeff. And he I was asking him because he brought it up as well. And like by through my... Um, ownership and acceptance and openness with my story like kind of like you have Mm -hmm. today and and on the on the daily there has been very very little times in my life that I've experienced this kind of I don't want to like this be taken the wrong way but this catch word that you hear and read everywhere every you see a an article about addiction or you see a story about addiction odds are the topic of stigma will come up it's just something that i haven't experienced and i asked jeff about it and he was um talking about how him and his wife were getting attempting to like foster parent or adopt something like that and his criminal background check related to the behaviors of his addiction that was like six years, seven years ago, like a pretty significant amount of time. He's like, that's the stigma that I'm advocating for. You know, he's board on the board for APNC. So he's like, that's what I advocate for. It's kind of like that secondary, like that you don't necessarily see or experience like firsthand. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like, and granted, I've had a pretty simple life. Like I haven't, I'm not applying for a loan or <laughs> attempting to get a car or anything like that. But like, I just go to school, you know? So like, mm-hmm. it's a pretty simple life. Um, but to like do things like we do on campus, right? Yeah. And be extremely open about our stories and talk to administrators, deans, presidents yeah, daily. And like them, not only like, being accepting but welcoming and like 
at my job granted it's like a part-time job that i just whatever but like i walk in there the very first day and say yeah this is my resume and this is where i come from and this is why i'm here and just being like just owning it Mm -hmm. in the same thing so like i i don't know very few times even like being pulled over when i get pulled over i have three duis on my record right getting pulled over for a taillight out right the officer walks up to my window. He knows my record. It's right there in front of him on the screen. Right. I hand him my driver's license, and I I initiate the conversation. He doesn't even, I'm a person in long-term recovery. I'm going to school here. Where are we going tonight? Whatever the conversation. Like, just being, like, that forward mm-hmm. and that open about it um, and to where, like, he doesn't even mention my right. past he doesn't even mention or begin to like interrogate or ask those questions that might make me feel like he's suspecting me of whatever so what i guess what i'm getting at is what specifically types of stigma might either of you two like i think we can both answer that have. i'll let um because it's everyone's story is different like, yeah and people experience it all the time i mean like right. caleb with trying to run to oklahoma mm-hmm stuff like that like that you know it's obviously out there right so i guess like what i'm asking is like maybe not even so much about like what specifically you like experience i mean you can obviously go and go into that but like what are what are the ways to overcome it Mm. you know um i think owning it is a big part when the first two times that i went to recover uh went to rehab and then i came back the NA and AA scene here was very scarce. I mean, I remember getting a pamphlet and it being like one-sided. Um, and I can remember like my parents catching hell because my name was in the paper and, um, you know, I was, I was an addict and I remember being ashamed. So I think that shame brought on some stigma already. Like people just automatically, cause I was embarrassed of it. Other people automatically thought that they should be too. Um, and even today in recovery, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm pretty straightforward when it comes um, to my past because now today I can own it. Um, but something that is still a barrier for me is my criminal background, and it keeps me from cash handling jobs sometimes. Um, and kind of like you, like walking in somewhere and being like, "This is my resume. This is where I come from, and this is who I am now." Um, I've noticed I have a better chance when I do that instead of like hiding it and acting like I'm ashamed. Um, so I have noticed just in the past few years with my confidence and now too, uh, with the amount of recovery that's going on here in Western North Carolina, um, it has come a long ways, but it still has a long ways to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're doing the groundwork. Yeah. People like people like me and yeah. you, we're doing it on right. the, on the daily, on the regular, mm-hmm. you know, like the night of hope with full circles, um, and the library, the mental health documents that they're doing, um, the documentary discussion that I met you at, you know, I mean, it's just like things like that. That's kind of open in the community. And I think the more people that we can get in recovery that are willing to uh, continue to speak and open up with, I'm a person in recovery. um, It's it's more welcoming and allows people to realize that um, it's nothing to be ashamed of. And that's kind of the way I feel about it, too. I know um, I kind of I changed my title on my Facebook page to uh, I'm a truth talker, not a secret keeper. 
Um, I was I, I was shameful for Courtney's actions, Lindsay's actions. Lindsay had a criminal background. Um, so yeah, and I thought, you know what? You can't be you can't keep those secrets anymore. Um, keeping those secrets, it's killing people. You need to make people aware of what's really going on and the statistics, um, the 174 people a day um, that lose their life to this disease, um, that's 63,000-plus people a year. To me, that's staggering, staggering and heartbreaking. Um, these people that are dying, they are, they are fathers, they're mothers, they're sisters, they're brothers. I mean, it's just there is no discrimination there. I know that's kind of a, you know... The, the thing everybody likes to say, oh, dis uh, this disease doesn't discriminate, but it's uh, ultimately that is the, the absolute truth. There is no discrimination when it comes to the disease of addiction. And I, I just want to kind of tap in there for a second with my sister. Um, I know my mom has mentioned more than once that she has some serious, she has some pretty severe health issues. Um, both, and, both mental and physical. And physical, mm -hmm. correct. And I know that the last time she went to a hospital, she was treated very badly um, because of the way she looks and, and the scars that were on her arms. Um, she was discriminated right from the get-go. And they basically told her, we know that you're here seeking pain pills. We can't help you. Go on about your business. And the thing is, I believe um, that, I mean, we know it's true from my sister's friends that have reached out to us that Lindsay was basically getting high because she was trying to be a doctor to herself. Mm -hmm. She was trying, uh, we know for a fact that she was seeking fentanyl only. Um, you know, she wasn't like trying to go just for like hair, like she was going for the fentanyl. Um, and we know in, in trying to do that, she was trying to diagnose her pain because nobody else would. Yeah, so because of the lack of compassionate care for her, like physical health, yes, mm -hmm. and probably mental health too, but yeah. for physical health, she was unable to, those needs were unable to be to be met. Exactly. So she sought out yes. drugs on her own mm -hmm. to cope and deal with the pain and what she was experiencing kind of physically. Yes. And I can remember she'd call mom up, you know, screaming and crying with the amount of pain that she was in. And I know that she coughed for probably like six months. I mean, it was crazy. And her dad and mom begged for her to go to the ER. Mm -hmm. And she said, I would rather stay here on this couch and be sick than to go through how they treated me a few months ago. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it only takes one bad experience to leave that like bad taste in your mouth mm -hmm. in any profession, whether it's like, yeah, you know, shopping at a you know convenience store or a yeah, restaurant, so you're not going to go back. Take an addict who's like yeah. broken and beat it down already, who's struggling to just stay alive, anyways. And all she wants is the pain to go away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and then so, you're basically uh, told you're not worthy. Yeah, you're not worthy of being treated. <laughs> like mm -hmm. that's the problem. Mm -hmm. That is a serious freaking problem. You know. How how do we fix it? Oh man, what. You know, like I talk about this a lot, but I think that a lot of this type of social change, mm -hmm. it takes time. It does. Right. It's not something that we will experience in a year or two oh, years no. or three years or potentially even our lifetime. So what 
what can we do collectively as a um, individual, as a small town community? What can we do to begin to shift that point of view and to begin to shift that um, level of understanding to where people who are in a situation like Lindsay will be able to receive the care that she needs. When you meet those physical health needs, then you can begin to address the addiction. You can mm -hmm. begin to address some of the mental health stuff. But if she's in so much like physical pain, you're not going to be able to, how do you fix it at the root cause? Right. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that other than, um, I mean, for everybody to, to be a voice, have a voice, go out there and, and educate, tell people what it's all about and try to explain the impact that the stigma of addiction has and how it keeps people from seeking the help that they not only need, but that they deserve. Mm -hmm. And I, I think our little town, we're, we're headed in the right direction, finally, um, after many years, you know, and that just goes back to say um, what we're doing on campus and the podcast and, um, you know, Sunrise out in Asheville, Meridian. I mean, everyone is finally starting to, like, kind of come together. And I feel like we can't just one one nonprofit organization um, can't do it by themselves. You know, like we need all the services, all the resources together out there like a little army. Yeah. I feel like it's going to take an army to, you know, and I guess it just starts in, in our smaller communities and trying to get people to open their eyes to, to the bigger problem here. Absolutely. I agree with that one 100%. I think that people's eyes are beginning to open because mm -hmm. of like you mentioned how it, it's just it's affecting literally everybody yeah. right um i think that you may be on to something with like the because it's so rural here and so like everybody's like spread out and there's yeah. these little pockets of people who are doing phenomenal things right right out in cherokee mm -hmm. collegiate recovery um celebrate recovery right. even some of the 12-step fellowships over around campus and stuff like there's some there's little pockets of people yes. doing doing solid work but there's definitely like a disconnect in the um services that be are being provided and That's like right. specifically like the aftercare and mm -hmm. like connecting them with those little pockets right right like the guy um over at the detox center will say, okay, here's a list of meetings or here's, you know, this, and there's no like kind of like case management follow through right. soft handoff. Right. And it's like in, um, you know, I can see where like in a bigger, like metropolitan type community, you might not be able to facilitate that because right. of like population and stuff, but it's so much more valuable in this rural community because, um, everything's so spread out. Right. It's not like you can just say like, Hey, go down here. Well, how do you expect 
you know, Steve Steen, who just got his third DUI to get a ride over to celebrate recovery on a Tuesday night to go to a meeting at seven o'clock. I could barely get my ass to work in the morning. You know what I mean? Like it's just, so then what happens? Then I don't build that, that network. I don't Mm -hmm. build that community of people who can support me when these big things happen. Right. When life challenges me, how do I overcome the challenges if I don't have the, the support? Right. And nine times out of 10, you burn the bridges with your family. You don't have the, the support at home or there's still, there's still active use in the house. And there's just so many variables that like, I don't know. Yeah. So there's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where to start. I know it. I do not know where to start. So leading up to Lindsay's death, what, what was going on in your life, Courtney? What were you doing? Was there concern? Was there, you were focusing on your recovery. You were getting ready to go back to school. You were dealing with. Trying to focus on my recovery. Yeah. I mean, I, I struggled. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think I can just be honest and say there were several people that were worried about Concerned. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I had the amount of people that I had reach out to me and say, hey, you know, we know that you've just lost your sister, but if you need sober support, like we're here for you. Yeah. Um, you really, um, you like retreated. You oh kinda yeah. I isolated myself. Isolated. Yeah. Um, I became mad at the world. I was able to find every close friend of mine and like blame them for something that resulted in my sister's death afterwards. Like, not being there for me and not um, checking on me as much as I would like. Or, um, I mean, I had like three arguments with my very good friends. Um, And I think it was just easy for me to outlash my anger on them because I didn't know where else to put it. I couldn't put it in the gym where I was used to putting my anger or any other emotion. Um, I mean, I did. I questioned my recovery. I questioned my faith. Um, stopped returning my pastor's phone calls, um, kind of distanced myself from you for a little while, uh, along with other, other sober supports. Um, and when I returned to church a few Sundays ago, they were like, oh my gosh, finally, like we knew you'd come back, but we knew that we had to leave it to you in order to find your way back. Um, so it, it was, it was tough. I don't even know. I mean, it, sometimes I say it's a miracle, but I'm even like, still here after something so tragic like that. (sighs) What was like the turning point in the like grieving process where you could kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel and you kind of could really feel, experience that level of healing begin? Mm. Um, I think working with my counselor one-on-one, um, I had a, an expectation of grief. And the grief that I'd known is things that I see like online and in movies. And everyone grieves so differently. And when I would tell my counselor like how I felt about something, she's like, that's your own expectation. Like, you grieve however you're supposed to, you know, like if you want to go out and you want to laugh, like that's your business. Don't feel bad about it. Um, but I think probably like starting school was like the kind of, cause right there before school started, I was going to pull the plug on it. 
Um, but the last thing I said to my sister while she was in the casket was like, I'm going to stay sober and I'm going to finish this degree and I'm going to do badass things with it. Like, I'm not going to let you die in vain, you know? Um, and I sat there and felt sorry for myself and questioned my sobriety, but I thought, how selfish am I being? I'm being selfish. I'm being so selfish to question my sobriety after I just watched the pain of my mother go through losing my sister. How could I even think about going and getting high? You know, like, and I just think that school and counseling has been like a big part of it, honestly. Like I'm already learning so much of who I am just, just through school the alone. Class, the classes. Yeah. So that's pretty neat. What do you think, Tammy? I'm beyond proud of this girl right here. I mean, like I said earlier, she's going to do big things. She's going to do big things. Um, you know, and I noticed that I was um, really kind of holding my grief inside. I didn't want to show, show how much pain that I was in because I didn't want it, my pain to have an impact on her. I knew she was struggling on her own. So it was like, okay, you got to, you got to continue to be the matriarch of the family, mom. This is what you've always done, you know? And I mean, I would, I grieved alone for a really long time and Courtney kept coming to me and she said, you know, mom, you don't have to hide your grief. Um, you can come and talk to me. Don't, don't just sit here and, and try to do this on, on your own. And the, um, the, the wave of emotions that I felt have been everywhere from being um, just absolutely heartbroken to being angry to being this superwoman. I'm going to become this recovery ally to private detective that I want to find out who brought my daughter the drugs. And I mean, it has just been like this roller coaster of a ride. And uh, I'm still on it. I mean, it's, uh, you know, still fresh. It's raw. It's been five months since she passed away. There are some realistic goals that you can set, and mm -hmm. there's some realistic action that you can take, right? Have you thought about kind of what that might look like? What I really want to start some type of a support group. Um, I I think there's probably enough out there. Well, I, I shouldn't say use the word enough, but there's a good start with. Um, groups uh for recovery for those that are, that do have substance use disorders um the, the na is in the collegiate recovery celebrate recovery I'd really like to start a support group for for parents yes um i do hope pardon me i do hope that you two are able to make it to our christmas party because i would like to introduce you to a former guest who was on early in the beginning, like fourth or fifth, maybe sixth wow. episode, Sherry Barker. Mm -hmm. You've seen her I recognize the name. stuff yeah. online. Go back and listen to her podcast. Um, she went through a similar experience, right. and she started a group in Asheville called Mother to Mother. Oh, wow. And it's a support group for grieving mothers who have lost a loved one or who are experiencing a loved one. Um in an act of addiction mm -hmm. and this woman is just amazing like her um the way that she has kind of decided to live her life and kind of like accept the things that she the cards that she's been dealt but but take ownership of them and, mm -hmm. and take action in ways that she can um that she can not only foster healing in herself but 
help others in need. And she did it because what happened, um, again, you can go back and listen to it. What happened was after her, because she was open, she's like a writer, she's into writing and stuff. So she was very open about the loss of her daughter as well. And she began like posting kind of like things on Facebook, just typing up some stuff, posting on Facebook. And what happened was a lot of, other mothers began to contact her. Her post would get shared or somebody would see her. Might be somebody she didn't know. Just But they would contact her and be like, hey, I'm kind of going through a similar situation. What do you suggest we do? What do you suggest I do? Um, and it's just, it is just such an inspirational story and awesome to connect with her. I'm trying to see when it was exactly. Uh, episode number nine. Wow. So if you go back and listen to that, Sherry Barker, she's just a phenomenal woman, a wealth of knowledge and could definitely like not only like um, share with you like her experience, but also like kind of work with you. That's great. If, if that is something that you would be interested in pursuing, because I there's obviously a need for it. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, there's obviously a need for it. For sure. Um, and she very well might be like watching this episode and I wouldn't be surprised if she contacted you by the time <laughs> this thing's over. So, that's awesome. Cause that's the type of woman that she is. So cool. Um, what about you, Courtney? What about me? What about you? Goals. Oh man. Um, I ask everybody about goals. Yeah. My, my two biggest goals right now are to finish the semester, <laughs> like three more yeah, weeks. You're there. You're there. <laughs> And um, I'm hoping that over this uh, very long Christmas break, it's like a month long. Did you know that? Yes, like that's, almost. That's every. Oh, well, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. It's not special this year because Courtney's in the, the program this well, year. Well, I can pretend like it is. Oh, it's special. Um, it is special. <laughs> so I'm going to finish out this semester super strong. And I'm hoping that over my uh, month break that I can kind of find my spark for the gym again. Um, and this time, like you know, my, my physical therapist, he's so awesome. And he's like a cheerleader for me. Um, but I've come to the point now where I just have to learn how to push through the pain. Um, not to the point where it's like excruciating, like horrible pain. Um, but is it healthy to, yeah. Like you got the green light, Mm -hmm. there's no risk of, right. Um, I'm just very weak. My lower body is very weak. Uh, so it's going to take a lot of, a lot of patience, a lot of time back in the gym um, to get me, not even where I used to be, but just get me kind of active again. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what the value mm-hmm. of exercise and health. It's so valuable. In, re- <laughs> in relationship to your recovery. Oh, man. And like the transformation and kind of yes. like what that was like for like both of you to like see her like really like find something. I've never stuck with it. And like, so it's been a year. It was a year in September. So my Facebook and like Snapchat memories are coming up and I can see like the first couple of pictures, you know, I was taking while I first started. And even like, even now to see like where I am, which isn't in the gym, um, I'm still proud of myself because I've never stuck with something for so long. I can remember like all the gym memberships I've bought over the years and I'll go like three, six times and like, that's it. I'm done. You know, cause I didn't see results. Um, so watching me become like the super confident, like outgoing woman through working out, um, 
man, I was just feeling awesome all summer long. I'm like, yeah, like I'm this badass who can lift weights and I feel good about myself. And then it was just like yanked from me, like literally, like all these doctors and PTs are like, you cannot work out like you. And, and I was misdiagnosed for months. And so like I was angry and I was upset and I could like, I wasn't getting my dopamines going it, anymore. It directly affected your mental, mental. well-being. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Which in turn like affected the rest of your life and yeah. like your schoolwork mm-hmm. and relationships yes. and all that stuff. <laughs> I know. Uh-huh. I know it. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's um, I've never wanted something so like to get back in it so bad. And I think like I've gotten... I've gotten, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Complacent um, with myself and not where like, oh, physical therapy is twice a week. It's cool for me. Like whatever. No, no. I have like such a higher standard than that. And I'm just ready to get back in there and listen to heavy shit. <laughs> in the beginning, when she first started her fitness journey, um, not only did I see a transformation in her physical appearance, but I saw her transform mentally as well. Yeah. Much more positive, um, much more outgoing, confidence, um, confidence. yeah, confidence. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So not it so it, it, it definitely impacts you in, in both ways. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that um we're have, do you do any dieting or is it mostly just exercise, try to use healthy as possible? Like do you yeah. follow any kind of pretty much no. Okay. Um, you saw I was trying to, I'm looking to locate a nutritionist. Oh yeah. I did see that. Post. And we did, we do have somebody coming, awesome. um, in like January, but like, I want to talk to a nutritionist, not about the physical health. Yeah. I want to talk to a nutritionist about the relationship between the food that we eat and the cognitive performance oh, yeah. and how it affects like our overall mental well being. Something that like fascinates me. I got into some book like a couple weeks ago. Um, there's like some app. I can barely think of what it's called. Uh, like, so like one of my biggest, like most valuable, um, coping skills, hobbies is reading. Uh, like I really, I like damaged my brain and avoided learning <laughs> for so many years. Like I've just flat out avoided it that like, yeah, boy, you hear that? <laughs> Who's up? <laughs> um, that like, I like when I got into recovery, I really just like started like just reading as much as I can. I just wanted to learn. I just wanted to learn as much as I could. You and your Buddha books. It's all, I I ventured out. That was at the beginning, but (laughs) like in the last two years, I've ventured out and I've started reading like just, just whatever, like whatever seems interesting, expanding my like knowledge. TMZ. Uh, what's that? Okay. never mind. (laughs) And then, um, Remember, I'm old school, man. I know you are. That's why I'm somewhere along the lines of National Enquirer, oh, but, okay. uh, yeah, no. but a more no, like current version. Books. <laughs> and so like when the semester's in full gear, and I have so much reading, so much writing to mm-hmm. do, I don't get to read. Right? And so um, I don't know how I've never heard of this before, but I found this like app called Blinkist or something like that. I'll have to I verify what it's called, but I've been using it for like the last two weeks. And... It's like um, both audible audiobooks and you know the written stuff, but it's like cliff notes. So it's like you can literally they share you can listen to or read um, the like it basically like the high spo- high spots, the most important information of a book in like fifteen minutes. 
So I could like just, so I've been using that. They have textbooks on there. <laughs> I don't know. They might. That would be amazing. They totally might, but it's been like, it's been so valuable. Um, so like cool. giving me a little bit, cause then you, what I do is I like turn it on. I listen to an mm-hmm. audio book, knock it out in like 15 minutes. And if there's something that interests me in that book, then I'll go back and read it. You can like take notes and stuff. And so I'll go back and read the pages. And then if I really like it, then I'll, add it onto my wish list and buy it on Amazon or whatever. But I found like, and that's by listening to a book that was specifically about food and cognitive performance. I was like, dude, I totally need to get like a, Mm -hmm. and a lot of it was like the same old kind of like, um, you know, low carbs. Sugar is so bad. Sugar is so bad. It's like the stuff we know. Yeah. But I guess it was like more like specific about how it affects your brain. And That's cool. And what it does to your brain. Yeah. What those things do to your brain. Because you hear so much about what it does to your body. Mm-hmm. To your weight, to your heart, this and that. But you never, you, know, you don't hear a lot about what it does to your mind. And that's what I'm like interested in because... I hope Caleb's not listening or watching, but I'm not like the exercise guy. I'm the, I'm the meditation guy. I'm the internal, I'm the internal guy. Um, Not for me. Yeah. So, um, you got the news. You guys went up there to. Yep. The, the, the dreaded phone call that Mm -hmm. every mother just kind of waits for. Yeah. When was the last time that either of you talked to her or heard from her before you got the call? I talked to her two days prior. She died on Friday, June 29th. I talked to her on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, very brief, telling me how sick she was, um, begging her to go to the doctor. And she said, you just don't understand, Mom. And I said, no, I don't understand. Um that was her like favorite line. Yeah, I don't. You don't understand. She, get, too, she gave you that a lot too. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk for a while um, because she had messaged me over Facebook several months prior to. Her, I think it was like sometime in February. I mean, it was a while ago. It was while I was the gift shop was closed, um, and she tried to pull that dreaded gift shop. Oh, the gift shop. Um, but she was like, because I was offering. I was like, you know, with all my connections, my good, healthy, positive connections, I can get you into a treatment center, like anywhere. Just pick where you want to go, and I can get you in. Um, and she, you know, you just don't understand. You don't get it. And I'm like, you can pull that shit on mom, but you can't pull it on me because I've been there and I've done that. And like, in case you forgot, mm-hmm. like we were in addiction together. So you're pretty direct with her. Oh, I was. Mm-hmm. And she hated it. Didn't she mom? Oh yeah. She, oh man, she used to cuss me and dog me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm your sister. I'm in recovery. I've been there. So I'm going to tell it like it is. Um, and she usually always got over it. It took her a little while, though. Sometimes she stayed mad at me as long as for like a couple of weeks. Um, I the last message I got from her was um, in early May, and I was driving, so I was ignoring her. And she texted, she messaged me again, was like, "Well, dang, like I was just trying to tell you I love you." And I was just like really short with her. I was like, "I can't talk right now. I'm driving, but I love you too." And that was the last thing I ever said to her. Uh, so. That hits me hard sometimes. I feel like she probably always thought that I was just too busy to talk to her. Or, you know, like I didn't, I didn't want to. Uh, so, and I think too, she kind of dreaded talking to me at times because I was so straightforward she with her. She knew you would be upfront with her. Mm-hmm. She, uh, 
vis- visibly was able to see your personal transformation mm-hmm. that you were doing and the work that you were putting in. Right. And she was always really happy for me. Oh, yeah. She told me numerous. So I, I'm so proud of Courtney. I'm so proud of Courtney. And, I, you know, and I'd remind her, you know what? You can be proud of yourself, too. Uh, yeah. Just all you do is put forth that effort. And like, she never got she never got to tell me, but I guess she told mom a bunch like how ecstatic she was. I was going back to school, you know. So I think too, like in the end, when push come to shove, like even if I started school in the beginning and it wasn't for myself, it could be for my sister. Yeah, you know. And later on, it would be um, for me and for her and for all the people you know who haven't found recovery yet. So. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I have regrets, but I think um, I think one of my biggest things is just keeping like my focus on the good times with her. Yeah. You know, she wasn't my sister for the last probably year and a half that she was alive. Um, she's a very dark person, very negative person. This is not the sister that I remember growing up with. So, yeah, yeah. I talked to her on a pretty regular basis. Um, was getting a little bit more distant with her. I, I didn't realize how sick that she that she really was, and not just in from an addiction aspect. She was very physically sick, and I didn't find out how sick she really was until I obtained a copy of the autopsy report. So there's where, of course, the guilt starts coming in for me. Well, gosh, you know, she's telling you how sick she was, but yet when you tell her to go to the doctor, she'd refuse, and, well, how sick is she really, you know? And, um, yeah, she was... Um, her official cause of death was uh, acute fentanyl morphine intoxication with contributing factors of um, bronchial pneumonia with abscesses, which basically she was in the beginning stages of gangrene in her lungs. Mm-hmm. Um, and in turn, she was also um, in organ failure. She was, her heart was failing. Her liver was failing. Um, her kidneys were failing. Um, a lot of that, some of that came in from the pneumonia, but the pneumonia was also a result of, of drug oh, abuse. Yeah, chronic heroin use. Mm-hmm. How old was she? 36. 36. Mm-hmm. And it makes me wonder, you know, I, I mean, I just know hearing from her dad those, those two days prior to her dying and him telling me how sick she was and she refused to go to the hospital, um... I mean, there was a part of me that was, I was angry with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned her father a couple of times. Mm-hmm. What type of relationship does she have with him? And then what type of relationship do you have with him? That There is no relationship there. Um, we've, we've divorced many, many, many years. Well, with um, all these issues going on, there, there was no, no, there he was no. He only contacted mom when he didn't know what to do with when Lindsay. he didn't know what to yeah. do. Um, in fact, he contacted me on Friday morning. Uh, actually, Friday afternoon, about 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and he says, um, at this point, let me backtrack a little bit, um, Lindsay led me to believe that she um, was in, in sobriety again mm-hmm. and had been since um, the end of March, beginning of April. So um, I didn't really think a whole lot about it. That's why I couldn't figure out why she wouldn't go to the doctor. It's like, okay, well, I mean, I, I get that, you know, you've been treated badly in the past, but... Regardless, it sounds to me like you're really sick and you probably need to go to the doctor. So so all these th- these months prior to her death, I'm being led to believe by her that she's no longer in active addiction. But you know, you didn't have any contact with her. Right. So like, 
I didn't know. Yeah. She didn't know. Uh-huh. Um, but I believed her because she didn't she didn't portray what I would refer to as typical addict behavior from right. what I heard. From what you and, witnessed directly with right, Courtney. Right. So and it's really easy to portray a certain image across the telephone yeah, <laughs> versus one on one when you're looking you're at somebody. that many miles yeah. away. There's yeah. not a whole lot that you can do. You can't be popping in every weekend. Right. I mean, just financially and all those other reasons why. Like, yeah, it's a six hour drive. It's a, yeah. Yeah. So I get the phone call from her father on Friday, the day that she died at about one o'clock in the afternoon to inform me that he knows why Lindsay won't go to the doctor now because she's back on drugs. And um, I'm thinking, really? Okay, well, back on drugs. How, how did you find? She, she, she's dope sick. That's why she's refusing to go to the hospital. And I said, well, at that, I mean, she couldn't even get up off those the are, couch. Those were his, those wor- were his, his words, words or her words? Those his were his words. words. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kind of, I mean, I, I said to him, I said, well, if, if she's as sick as you are portraying to me that she is, and if she's portraying to me that she is, that she can't even get up off of the couch, um, my suggestion to you is to call 911 and try to attempt to have her involuntarily committed because if she can't care for herself, obviously she's a danger to herself. A, a realistic Mm-hmm. Um, solution. Yes. You're offering a realistic solution. Yes. Like, hey, you don't know what you can, what you can do, but this is something you can a- do. attempt. It here at is least. some here is something mm-hmm. that you can attempt to do. Right. Um, and I'm par- sure like the laws and stuff are different up there. Yeah. Well, I even here. went so far as to look up the general statutes for the state of Ohio okay. and even send the link that says this is what you can and cannot do, and this is for how long you can can have this person committed. Very proactive. Yes. Um, so that was at approximately one o'clock in the afternoon. He was going to do that when he got home from work, um, which would have been about three thirty in the afternoon. I had sent, made several attempts to get in touch with Lindsay via Facebook, text message, phone call. She didn't answer and she didn't respond to any of those. So I'm thinking now that after her death, I'm thinking, well, she must've been pretty bad off that she didn't respond to any phone calls. Um, so I don't hear from him, and then my phone rings at 10 o'clock Friday night. When I saw his number pop up on my phone, I thought, he's calling to tell me that Lindsay's in the hospital. I wasn't expecting him to tell me that my daughter had passed away. When seven hours prior to that, an ambulance was going to get called and she was going to try to be volunt- or involuntarily committed. The last you heard, that was what yes. he was going to do. Yes, But it didn't happen. How quickly did you guys go up there? That phone call came in on a Friday night, June 29th, so we were rolling into a 4th of July July holiday. Um, The director of the funeral home where we were going to hold her funeral was out of town for that weekend, so I didn't even get to start making arrangements until Monday. Um, We were in the car Wednesday. And we were in the car on Wednesday, which was actually the 4th of July. And the funeral took place on July 5th. And after receiving the autopsy reports and you were able to like, how did you discover that she had been using potentially throughout that time that she told you she was? Oh, through, um, was it through the journals? Was it through the toxicology? No, it was friends. Through friends. friends. Mm -hmm. I knew. Her friends are pretty 
open and willing mm-hmm. to talk. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of friends, a lot of her friends were um, in active addiction and a lot of them got sober and they had to kind of push Lindsay away too. So she um, had people in her life who that were, were sober. Uh-huh. But um, she they, also had... Like you, they had to keep her at a safe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. have hold up to their boundaries and kind of keep a safe distance, offer what they could, but... Right. Yeah. And I think too, um, one of her closest friends... Um, was one of her biggest enablers, you know? And like, I know, you know, through uh, my own story that when you are doing such a dangerous drug, um, you feel like the best thing you can do for your friend or your loved one is be there with them while they're using, make sure you have Narcan, make sure um, that you're kind of like watching over them. But in the same sense, like you're killing them too, you know, Um, in a sense. So even though her friend was, trying to be in her knowledge the best that she can be um she wasn't she wasn't helping the case um and I just want to back up for a minute and I think you know I didn't really do a whole lot of reaching out to my sister but she didn't do a whole lot of reaching out to me and the last time I talked to her was in very early May and it was on Facebook and I think part of that is because she knows that she couldn't have bullshitted me that, um, that you wouldn't have, you yeah. would have seen right through that story. Even with whatever she was telling mom, um, whatever she would, there was just no way. And I think that she knew that. And that was probably why, um, the attempt to reach out was, was hardly any. And then when it was, it was like on Facebook and it would be very brief. Vague. Um, yeah. Cause I think that she was afraid that I would be able to, to, to catch on. Um, so yeah, I, uh, you know, we we left on 4th of July, and the Tuesday before that, I mean, the day prior, um, I'm in Asheville getting a cortisone shot in my hip, you know, because I'm like, my mom and I are in the back of the car. And you were in so much pain that just driving from here to Asheville oh, gosh. was problematic. Yeah. Oh, man. I, mean, I remember just Ooh. hearing that feedback from you, like, Steve, I don't know how I'm going to make it to the doctor in Asheville. Mm-hmm. The level of pain, physical terrible. pain that you were in. yeah. Oh my gosh, I am I'm a baby when it comes to pain. I, mean, I was Is swollen she? and but it was bad. So uh here I am. I've got like my leg like laying on mom's lap like parallel, in the you car? know. Yeah, in the car and it's whoo, we're just in one little small vehicle and you know, I mean it was it was a really rough time and I can remember laying in the hotel bed with my nanny and hearing like fireworks go off and people like celebrating the at the hotel. Yeah, I'm like all my friends on Snapchat were like out having a good time. And I remember laying in that bed so damn angry at the world. Screw 4th of July. And I can't believe I have to, you know, be up here and like say, say goodbye to my sister while my friends are, you know, out having a good time. Like, I just remember like thinking those kind of ridiculous thoughts, yeah. you know, but it wasn't, it didn't seem ridiculous at the time. It was my reality. Where, where, whereabouts did this take place? Ohio, Cincinnati, Ohio. The Cincinnati in the city. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that yeah. where you're, that's where you're from. I seen that. Uh, uh, Ridge, yeah, Nor- Norwood, which is a little suburb of, of Cincinnati. I seen the uh, the Bengals gear on Sundays. On <laughs> we won't talk about the Bengals. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get her started. Talk to you next year. <laughs> I keep, oh man, I keep picking up uh, one of the dudes, one of the wide receivers on my fantasy team every Sunday. And uh, he's been letting me down the last couple of weeks. Don't do it, Steve. Let's <laughs> just change the subject. I totally have. Um, <laughs> what? 
when did your process of healing begin? When did you start to really like kind of work, like actively work? Because oh. like Courtney kind of mentioned with herself, like getting into school and stuff, like she was kind of faced with like a decision, mm-hmm. right? And I'm either going to kind of lean into this experience and kind of overcome this or I can like sit, sit back in it. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. It's It was probably... Cause like two, that, two weeks I was just numb. Yeah. I mean, there were things that there were people that I talked to and things that I supposedly said and did that I have to this day, no recollection of, mm-hmm. um, because I was just, I, I, I don't you know. You were a I, zombie. Yeah. She I was mean, a zombie. I, I was just, I didn't sleep probably for 72 hours after the, I got the phone call on Friday night. Um, and didn't, and when I did finally sleep, I didn't sleep much. Um, so we went, th- you know, I went through the motions of the whole, um, the funeral and that process and everything. And I went ahead and sent, sent Courtney and my mother on back to North Carolina because I had to wait for, um, Lindsay's cremains. And I didn't, the funeral was on Thursday. I did not get those until Sunday. So we finally, and I said, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving my daughter until I'm, I'm taking her home with me. I don't care if I have to stay up here another week. <laughs> I'm not leaving. So I got home, and um, I, I don't know. that It's really all just kind of a blur. I remember spending a lot of time in the basement. And then I think after about maybe the second week after her death, I got on a mission, and I was going to... I was going to help the detectives find out who brought the drugs to my daughter. And at that point for, yeah. I would say, a good six weeks, Oh yeah, that was all I talked about. Obsessed. That's all I thought about. I was online by, um, buying the, uh, what do you call them, the, the background. Pe- people search backgrounds because yeah. uh-huh. I was trying to find out where this particular person's last um, known address was. So I'm going to pay for that background report because the Hamilton County Clerk of Courts only tells me so much, you know. So that's kind of what I was doing. That was my goal. And then finally I was like, you know, I had a lot of people, my mom and my husband, tell me, you know, y- you can't let this, you can't become just so consumed with, this part of it um because at the end of the day no matter what you find out it's not going to bring her back so that was at that point i think that all become a reality to me and i said you know you've got to channel your energy and your grief into something more positive yeah i noticed a change then too Mm -hmm. um and i think it was after you came back from the first time from visiting nanny uh because mom was obsessed and it was like breaking my heart at the same time. You know, I'm like, here I am, like on medication, getting counseling, you know, and like here's my mother who was just like supposed to be the backbone of the family. Nobody, like, I know she felt like nobody wanted to see her grief. So she was supposed to be like the strong one. And then here she is, like, Tammy Kimmel, private investigator from the living room <laughs> Where did of this Silva, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I mean, it was like eat, breathe and sleep detective mode. And it was like, Oh my God, how much more can we take of this? And I think everyone in the household was just kind of like feeling strained, you know? But also like you talked about learning pretty early in this experience is like, we all grieve differently. Exactly. Now, I don't know obsessing over anything is healthy, but you know, we yeah. all kind of process this change. Mm hmm differently yeah and so like there's like a healthy balance right like yeah you know do your thing but and I feel like the night of hope in Franklin was kind of like 
a, a turning point for my mom. Yeah, let's get into that because like that was probably it was still pretty fresh. Yeah, and it was probably the first time that you were actively involved mm-hmm. in around other people who had experienced the same thing. We were all gathered there. It well, was for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so like, like, well, what was it? Because uh, folks tuning in might not know what that was. Uh, and then, uh, well, and then what did you like experience while, while you were there? Uh, well, it was August 31st, which is, uh, I guess, International Overwo- Overdose Awareness Day. Um, and there was a, um, an event that was held in Franklin, and I believe it was sponsored. Was it Full Circle Recovery, yeah. I believe, sponsored that event down there? Um, basically, it's just um, it's people that have lost a loved one to the disease of addiction. Um, maybe some of them haven't lost them to the disease as far as in, in death, but they've, they've lost them um, as far as having a relationship with them. And it was, uh, there was speaker, guest speakers, um, just a lot of fellowship. And then the night ended with uh, a candlelight vigil. And it was just, um, it was definitely a healing, healing moment for me. Um, I think it really just, besides just reading things on the internet and reading st- statistics, that I got to actually join people that were feeling the same thing or had experienced the same thing that I had just went through you know, less than two months prior to that. So that, uh, to me, that was really, um, I think Courtney, she's correct in saying that. I think that was like the beginning of the actual healing, the start of the healing for me. Yeah. And you saw, you, you saw it. I did. Yeah. Shortly after that was when I saw mom, um, engaging, with other people, rock bottom recovery. I know she's, she talks to Stacy a lot. Um, there's other private groups on Facebook, grieving mothers, um, different recovery groups. And I know that she's always talking to other people, Googling, you know, research and data, um, plotting things, you know, different <laughs> plotting. groups. I don't know if I like that word plotting. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not plotting, but <laughs> maybe organizing in my brain. <laughs> organizing yeah. sounds good. Yeah. Plotting sounds mysterious. Yes, it does. Um, no, I could see you plotting. <laughs> totally. <No>. Courtney <laughs> yeah. never, she would never plot anything. Uh, um, but yeah, it was a good, it was not, it was refreshing yeah. to I, see. I do so much. Like I'm always going to these different things, but you bringing up this, topic you bringing up this um this event this evening this thing that we all all participated in it i'm gonna take it back a little bit it reminded me that full circles recovery in franklin they do they do offer a group were you you familiar with that um i believe i've seen some of the things posted on facebook learn learn to cope yes it's like a support group for parents and family members, spouses, and caregivers of loved ones who are struggling with addiction to opiates, alcohol, and other drugs. They meet on Tuesdays from 7 p.m. till 8.30. So it might be something we're checking out. Cool. um, And kind of getting into, along with touching base with Sherry, who also just clicked on our post. So I think that you might hear, hear from Sherry at some point. Courtney. Steve. Um, how much have you thought about your next steps 
and not only the process of not only your recovery process, but in your education and like goals and what are you going to do? Cause this is, you're about to complete your first semester. I got news for yeah. you, girlfriend. There's only four semesters. You're going to be graduating <sighs> that program before you know it in a blink of an eye. Oh my gosh. Unless you drag it out like me. No. Um, but not at 17 credits a semester. The, yeah, no, <laughs> this next year and a half is going to fly by, bro. <sighs> I hope so. So what are you going to do? Oh my gosh. I think I've had like a vision with everything under the sun. Um, you know, I think for the longest... Because you know I could roll the tapes back and hear what you told me the last time that you were on. Yeah. Can you remind me of that? Uh, yeah, he doesn't know right off the top <laughs> no, of his head. Luck, lucky for Courtney, I guess. I yeah. didn't prepare that much to... <laughs> ah, uh, I have that for hand here. I mean, I could play it, but I can't get it onto Let's this not. equipment right so, now. So anyways, I'm thinking um, that I still want to do something with the pr like with women's prison. Um, I don't know if I want to do like some sort of social work and be like an advocate for the inmates um, because I know that there are definitely um, not enough resources on the inside and an inmate's voice is not enough. Um, so I'm leaning towards that. But I'm also thinking like, I don't know, I kind of like this semester I've learned that I enjoy writing, which is really weird. I'm doing very well in my English class and I kind of like want to write my own book and like be a traveler like I don't know like recovery spokesperson motivational speaker I don't know advocate yeah um, you should just totally do what I challenged Caleb to do and start a blog start there just like journaling yeah. putting it out there publicly allowing other people to kind of grow and heal from your yeah. experiences and I know like my English teacher he's so awesome Mr. Park is awesome that's the dude that I was rolling there yeah and he never says anything to no. you like he's so I awesome I just walk in their class and yeah. start talking to her and he don't even yeah know. he's always like what's up dude <laughs> just, that's what I say to the teacher yeah I'm like oh okay um but I started sharing Lindsay's story like right off the rip in class discussion in, or yeah probably well, both no yeah. um it was like things I had to read out wow that I had shout written. out Montreal <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, no. Um, and he was like, oh, she died like three months ago this year, like as in like three months ago. And I was like, yeah, you know, and he was like, wow, that's so that's so fresh and so raw. Like, are you sure you want to you want to share that? And I'm like, yeah, man, of course I do. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, so the, I've written like three different pieces on my sister and he's just like. I don't know. I feel like he kind of like cheers me on and tells me like deep down. Yeah. It's an opportunity to like educate. Like I know that class is like an entry level, like English class. Like it's a beginners, like mm -hmm. English 111s, like intro to English kind of deal. There's a lot of young people in that class. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, I'm the oldest. You're a younger student. Um, I am. And I sure don't feel our, like it in our program. Right. Many of our students in this program have like life experience, like we both do, but mm -hmm. you're like on the younger side of that, all 27 years of you. And, but you walk into that class. Ugh. And I remember you telling me this when the semester oh. first started. You're like, <laughs> I feel old in this class. Oh, old as shit. Um, but like so being open like that and talking about those, that, that experience in such detail and being mm -hmm. so like, 
um, positive about yeah. it is like a huge, like we talked about the stigma, like at the beginning at some mm-hmm. point tonight and like just that right there. Like it's a, like, I believe that it, it is like a level of respect that these mm-hmm. younger there's like there's high school kids in that class. Fifteen yeah, is, is, for real. is the youngest. Wow. Yeah, for real. There's and like a school. lot of sixteen and seventeen year olds. High school kids, and to hear mm-hmm. them like, for them to hear you speak so openly about both probably your experience mm-hmm. and then the, the the going through what you went through with the loss of your sister this year. Right. That's like a level of respect. That's just you know probably something that they've never heard before for them to like teach. So, so like, I guess what I'm getting at is that like, you don't have to like get a microphone and do a podcast mm-hmm. or get a blog and post it out on Facebook. Like our actions, our behavior can and will influence so many people often, so often unseen, mm-hmm. meaning just by like doing what you're doing. You're, right. a, you're, influencing that change that I questioned at the beginning. How do we do it? Where do we start? There's strength and healing and honesty. There has been for me. For sure. Like I know all my classes know that I'm in recovery and I'm pretty sure each class knows that my sister passed away and they were, it was all revealed like at different times, Mm -hmm. you know, and it, it just kind of like came out and, I'm pretty sure at least one person in every class was like, oh my God, your sister died right before school started. And they're like, how are you even here? And I don't know, like, I don't think of it like that, you know? And so when people, I mean, I haven't been asked like asked that a lot this semester. How are you in school? How do you come four days a week, perfect attendance, straight A's, and your sister just died? I don't know. What's your answer? What do you tell them? I just do it. I do it because I want to, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's kind of like crazy, but kind of cool too, to see like how other people view you in that sense. So you're definitely making an impact girl. Yeah. I'm proud of you. I know your mama's proud of you. Oh yeah. Mama Tammy. Mama T. What about you? Like I said, my goal right now is to, I really want to get a support group. I think that we're lacking here. I, I, I've looked out for, or reached out for some support groups for for mothers. Not necessarily even mothers, maybe just parents, yeah. um, family members. Um, I had nowhere, I had no idea where to go. And I was like, you know, I wasn't, wasn't trying to go into um, any kind of formal grief counseling that was not really what I was feeling. I was just wanting to um, interact with people that kind of live the same experience that I have. And, um, you know, it's 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 a really difficult thing um, to go through this. I mean, the collateral damage that gets left behind, the, the shattered hearts and the broken families. And, I mean, it's, uh, I don't wish this on, on any parent ever. Yeah. And again, like to take it back, like to just like being in this rural community, it's like we just named off like two. You're going to drive to Asheville once a week, Mm -hmm. an hour plus, hour plus back over the mountain to Franklin, 40 minutes, 45 sometimes. Like, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't work for someone like me that has night blindness. I mean, I'm not getting across Cowie Mountain at night. (laughs) On a Tuesday night at seven o'clock. So, I mean, just like different things. Um, And connecting with those social media, like, 
um, groups and people, you know, finding those people that way Mm -hmm. and having those conversations um, in a somewhat safe, like, environment is definitely crucial. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we're almost at two hours. And yeah. I'm wow. A, I'm, uh, I got to go to the bathroom really bad. <laughs> I drank too much wow. of that coffee, man. <laughs> I know. You chugged it. I know. Um, so I think that I'm very grateful that you both, you know, not just like were willing, but like came to me and said like, hey, I think we're ready. Yeah. I'd like to talk about this. I know, I know that what you have shared tonight um, will resonate with people who are tuning in. I know that what you shared tonight will help create that, will help open up that mindset to overcome mm-hmm. these challenges that life throws at us. The right. things that you talked about, Courtney, the loss of your daughter, like this, um, it's definitely inspirational what you guys have done just in this last year just to, and like to think about it like in the grand scheme of things Courtney like this is the beginning of the road dog like yeah you have like you are so by doing what you've done <laughs> so far like the the end of the road the opportunities are just so endless like yeah. you have you are going to affect so many people's lives heck yeah by putting in the work, dog. And right. that's, own it, man. Like, own it. Be proud. You have a lot to be proud of. I'm proud of you for what you've done. Thanks. I'm, I'm proud of like, myself. <laughs> I feel fortunate to, like, not just, like, um, be a classmate, but to, like, be friends with both of you guys, you know? Like, um, you play a valuable part of my recovery. Thanks. Did you just roll your eyes at me? No. <laughs> no, I looked she over totally at She totally did. She totally did. Steve, so. I want to just yeah, um, come put on. something else out there. If uh, anybody wants to reach out on t- to uh, to me out on Facebook, it's uh, Tammy M. Kimmel on my Facebook. My Facebook is not set private. You can go through and read anything that I have posted. I am an open book. Yeah. I am a truth talker, not a secret keeper. Yes. So. Any questions, anybody that wants to get involved in a support group with me, please feel free to reach out. Um, this, is just, this is just the beginning. Woo-woo. And Courtney, how can people find your transformation pictures on Instagram? Oh my gosh. Um, it's Courtney with a K. No, no, just kidding. It's um, Courtney Joe <laughs> underscore. That's what it is. Courtney Joe underscore. Underscore. On Instagram. Go check out the transformation picture. She's always posted them. So. Woo-woo. Thank you guys for Thanks. tuning in to NC Raw. want to thank today's musical contributor, Rival, whose work can be found by searching Rival 727 on YouTube, SoundCloud, and Facebook. Visit our website at www.ncraw.life. While you're there, subscribe to our mailing list. That way we can email you every time a new podcast gets posted. We send it to our subscribers before we release it to the general public. And with that being said, we appreciate you tuning in. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye